Welcome to the Sports Business Radio Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Berger. You can find the Sports Business Radio Podcast over 14 years, 500 episodes featuring conversations with people like Mark Cuban, David Stern, Jeannie Buss, Charles Barkley, Jack Nicholas, and Kyrie Irving on iTunes or at sportsbusinessradio.com. We're ranked in the top 100 of the business news podcast section on iTunes. Follow us in between podcasts on Twitter at SB Radio. We've been named a top 50 follow by Forbes.com for three consecutive years and on Instagram at Sports Business Radio. Thanks for joining us this week. We've got a mega podcast following our trip to New York City last week for the Sports PR Summit. Coming up on the show this week, I sat down in the New York City offices of MKTG to chat with athletes, first partners, CEO Brian Murphy and President Jim O'Connell. A1P is an international sales and marketing company and is working with the NBA Players Association on their marketing and licensing deals around the world. They're perfectly positioned to work with other players' associations as well. It's an insightful conversation that I think you will really enjoy, so stay tuned for that. Sports Business Radio executive producer Brian Griggs interviewed a few people in the Blinder VIP green room at the Sports PR Summit at the Players' Tribune in New York. We're going to bring you those conversations. Nice work by producer Griggs. And then uh, I want to recap the Sports PR Summit. Griggs, what a a great uh, event that we had in New York. And, uh, you know, Michael Vick was there, Jamel Hill, New York Knicks head coach David Fisdale is who I sat down with. We had some really important conversations, sold-out event. The Players' Tribune looked great. I got to tell you, my my takeaways for the day, there was such great candor and transparency I don't know that I've ever heard an athlete be more reflective and honest than what we heard from Michael Vick in his conversation with Rick Buecher. And, uh, you know, he has made the most of his second chance. Jamel Hill, you know, she's certainly learned some lessons dealing with the corporate entity that is ESPN. She has her own personal publicist now that she's brought on board after some of the things she's had to navigate. But, uh, just a great day when I when I drew up the agenda and the programming for the event, I had certain things in mind, and I'm a perfectionist. I have to say that the event and the on stage content surpassed my expectations with how honest and forthcoming and, and candid everyone was. You know, it's my first trip for the PR summit to New York, and uh, it was cool to see how the event is put together and behind the scenes, and you know, going through the walkthrough and setting it up, and there's a lot involved with it, but. I agree. I think the event went off without a hitch. It was great. The interviews were great. And the thing that's so cool about it is because there's no media in there, these guys can really open it up. And Michael Vick, I mean, you could hear a pin drop in that. The hour conversation was just like everybody was waiting for the next answer. And Rick did a great job setting up questions. But it was so cool. With Vick, wasn't it amazing? I had so many people comment to me, I came in here today with a certain opinion of Michael Vick. And I'm leaving here today with a completely different opinion yep. of Michael Vick. And, you know, I told his publicist, uh, Latonya Story, who was fantastic to work with, and thanks to Fox Sports for bringing Michael Vick in as well for that conversation. But that hour of time changed some really influential minds and mm-hmm. will shape opinions going forward. So, you know, I say to people all the time, like, is this a good opportunity? Is it one that you want to pass on? This was one, and, and certainly I'm biased, but it's a powerful room of people at our event. And for Vic to come in 
and say the things he did and be as honest and forthcoming as he was. The people leaving that room now are going to have different opinions of him, and they're going to spread the word about him. The other thing is, Jamel Hill was really interesting. So she spoke in our 11 o'clock slot for the featured conversation. She stuck around the rest of the day. Mm -hmm. She sat in the audience. She wasn't, you know, in the VIP green room or any of that stuff. So everyone was really impressed with how approachable she was, how friendly she was. She took pictures with people. She sat in the audience and and just blended in with everyone else, didn't come in with handlers or, or anything. And, you know, she was great. And I heard a lot of things about Jamel mostly good before the event. And certainly after meeting her myself, I was so impressed with her. And you can say what you want about her and her, you know, stances on things. The woman is convicted. She stands up for what she believes in. She's well-spoken. She is educated. I respect her a lot, and I respect her even more after our event in yeah, New York. I agree with you, too. And I, I love that she hung out the whole day and was just part of the crowd. And that also is a tribute to the great event because she's comfortable with these people. She knows she's not going to get you know pictures with all the media and all this stuff and these weird questions. She just hung out, and she was super friendly, taking pictures and very approachable. I mean, you could talk to her like she was your best friend. So that was really cool, and she was just – it was cool to see her just hang out and, and chat. And I was I was surprised that she hung out in the audience and talked to everybody. It was great. And then a real special thanks to my man Fizz. I mean, David Fizdale just gets hired as the head coach of the New York Knicks. He's got meetings with players. He's looking for a place to live with his wife. He's got tons going on, and he took time out of his busy schedule to come sit on stage with me at the event. And this one was special, Griggs, because most of the time when I'm on stage, I know Adam Silver a little bit. I know Stephen Ross a little bit. I know the people that I'm talking to on stage. I'm friends with David Fisdale. We go way back 10 years, and it was really special to be up there. And I'm so proud of him, as I told him at the event, and what he's accomplished and this opportunity that he's getting with the Knicks. I really do feel like if James Dolan gives him and Scott Perry the opportunity to turn that thing around in New York, they're going to do it. But he was also really candid, really helpful. So at our event, it's a group of senior PR people from... You know, the Pittsburgh Steelers, Kansas City Chiefs, the NBA, brands like Under Armour, agencies, people from across the sports world. And for them to hear a coach's perspective on how do I prepare for a press conference? How do I handle social media? Uh, what can a PR person do to earn my trust? Those are things that it's really insight that you can't buy. And you don't hear people aren't having those conversations. So we try and have those conversations at our event. And he was so well-spoken and, and so good. And it was so nice to have his wife, Natasha, at the event. And, uh, you know, both of them are, are such a sharp, bright couple. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think they're going to do great things in New York. So all around, you know, Players Tribune had a great panel. I was really proud of the fact that a lot of the stuff I saw on social media talked about the diversity we had on our stage, the number of women we had on our stage, the diversity of our audience, that was all by plan. I didn't just pick names out of a hat and say, hey, what do we come up with this year? There's a lot of thought put into who's on that stage, who's moderating these conversations. Will the panelists blend together? We have calls before the event to discuss what those conversations are going to look like so we're not just showing up in in the blinder VIP green room going, hey, how you doing? We're meeting for the first time, and let's go on stage and see how this goes. So 
it all came together. Really proud of it. We had a, a great week in New York. As you'll hear in a few minutes, we had the opportunity to go to the MKTG offices. We went to the rooftop and took a picture that you'll see uh, as the cover shot for this week's podcast. But man, just an amazing building, uh, an amazing company. Really neat to sit down in their offices. Anytime I can sit down with someone face to face, uh, it's a better conversation than it is on the phone. You brought the the Sports Business Radio Portable Studio. That's right. And uh, that set up real nicely. So uh, just a great time. Thanks for coming. I'm glad you got to see it after hearing about it for, for five sure. years. You got to see it in year six. You know, our photographer, Brad Kinzer, uh, Cameron Sandage, who did our art and branding. Fun to hang out with them. My partners, Rick Buecher and Lauren Teague, were fantastic. So, you know, it, it's funny. I tell people when I do this event every year, it, it's kind of like your wedding, right? You want to get around <laughs> to everyone right. and thank them for coming, have a few words with them. And it's hard. But I tried to get around to as many of our 125 attendees as I could. If I missed you, I apologize. Look forward to a, a call with you in the future. But uh, just... You know, I'm very proud of what this event has become. It brings some really smart people together for conversations that we just don't have. I think any time that you can meet with people face-to-face at a conference or an event, it changes the dynamic of that relationship. You tend to remember people and be more responsive to people after you've met with them face-to-face versus just knowing them on LinkedIn or social media. So I really do feel like, you know, here we are, this industry of communicators, PR people, media people, athletes, like, let's do a better job of meeting Mm -hmm. face to face to communicate. So uh, great event. Look forward to next year. I'll already dig in on the planning for that coming up soon. Um, But New York was great. You know, we got to go on the Brooklyn Bridge for the first time, Griggs. And you know, the weather was great, so New York showed off. I know you went and saw your first Broadway play. Phenomenal. I tell you what, man, it, that city just has, it's like everything you have there is is good. The food was phenomenal. We ate ourselves through New York, as we always do. Um, but then I went to Broadway, and it was like, holy crap. This, I mean, it's a Wednesday night. The theater's sold out. There's 20 other shows playing at the same time. Packed theater. Amazing talent, singing, sets. Everything's just dialed in. I love that because I'm a... I'm kind of like you. I'm perfectionist. I want it all dialed in. I want it sound good. I want it look good. New York does it every time. The city looks good. The food's good. The people are cool. Everything's awesome. I loved it. Yeah. Now it's it's a great city. It was great weather. Great event. Um, before we get into the interviews, I've got to go into a story here. It kind of you know it resonates with me on so many levels because I've got my media and social media training firm, Everything is on the Record, with Rick Buecher, where we work with sports teams, we work with athletes, we work with executives, owners. This Brian Colangelo story that came out in The Ringer this week, that he may have up to five burner accounts, he's already admitted to having at least one. This is a crazy story, Griggs, because usually... When you hear of someone having a burner account, and and last year we heard of Kevin Durant having one, and he forgot to switch over from his regular verified account to his burner account, people want to go back at fans who are critical of them, right? A lot of times players, they want to defend themselves. Coaches want to defend themselves. Executives may want to defend themselves against fans and the criticism, and they want to do it anonymously so they have a burner account, okay? I don't advise it. But I understand it. The one thing I'll never understand, though, is like, why can't you just 
tone, like go tone deaf on that stuff. Like, don't you have better things to do than engage the trolls and the critics on social media? But the thing that is odd about this one is that if this is true, Colangelo shared sensitive team and medical information. He was critical of current and former players. And I don't see how you come back from burning those bridges if it is indeed Brian Colangelo, who, by the way, has twice won NBA Executive of the Year Award. It's not like he's a rookie. Uh, his dad has been around the NBA for decades. Like He knows what this business is. He knows what the rules are. But the reporting done by The Ringer, pretty phenomenal. Because they got tipped off that there was a burner account. Then they get tipped off there's multiple burner accounts. When they call the Sixers, three of the burner accounts went from public to private. So then, I mean, isn't that a pretty interesting (laughs) sign right there? Like, maybe it's coincidence, but maybe it's more than coincidence. And then you have Colangelo saying that one of them was mine. Now, as we record this, Colangelo reportedly is calling up everyone from Joel Embiid to others who he was critical of to deny the fact that this was him. And, you know, there's all kinds of conspiracy theories out there. Sam Hinkie, the former Sixers GM, trust the process, has ties to an AI company. People are like, wow, is this Sam Hinkie getting revenge on Brian Colangelo? Is it someone else who has an axe to grind with Colangelo? But here's the bottom line. This is an important summer for the Sixers. They took a huge step winning 52 games. They've got a young, talented roster that seems primed to win the Eastern Conference. But guess what? Free agents, they don't want to put up with this circus, this clown show. They want to come into a professionally run organization. So this looks pretty chaotic. If it does wind up coming out that this was indeed Brian Colangelo and he had these accounts, I don't see how you can keep him as your GM. Because what? A, you burn bridges with the players, right? B, you have given up sensitive, proprietary team information, including medical information. I would think there might even be some lawsuits here from players whose medical information was relayed through these Twitter accounts. But the other lesson is this. If we haven't learned this by now, and this is why I have a company called Everything is on the Record. Your burner accounts, your likes, your retweets, and certainly your posts are all able to be scrutinized. I don't care if it's you with a burner account. I don't care if it's your wife with an account who's defending you. If it's your brother or sister, we talked to Michael Vick about his brother and his brother's use of social media at Sports PR Summit. It all reflects on you, and you have to be aware of that. So for people like Colangelo if he did this, or for athletes to think, oh, I can start a burner account and I can do it anonymously. Here's the deal. Reporters are looking for stuff like this, just like this Ringer reporter who got tipped off and further investigated and did a great job. Or here's the deal, Griggs. Fans are tipping reporters off. Hey, look, I saw this. Here's the pattern I saw. This certainly looks a little shady, Mr. Reporter or Mrs. Reporter. You might want to further investigate this. So fans are tipping reporters off to this kind of stuff. So bottom line, Griggs, starting a burner account, it's a risky, dangerous game. If you do it, you better be real careful because 
tracing burner accounts now is something that is common nature, and this is only going to ramp up the game for everyone else. I mean, I'm on Twitter last night, and I'm seeing people, and I even suggested it. Like, when is someone going to start a website that has the burner accounts of all the people in sports? (laughs) Like, you know that's going to happen at some point. You know there's football coaches. You know there's other athletes. Brian Colangelo, if this is true, is not the only one doing this. We know KD did it. We know other athletes have done it. We've seen Bill Belichick's wife or girlfriend start, you know, defending him. We've seen Roger Goodell's wife defend him. It's happening, but people still continue to do it. I think you hit a good point, too, where it's like everybody is kind of on equal playing level. Like the fans are also reporters. They're doing research. They're all amateur reporters. Well, they want to take down their rival team. So, like, if you're a Boston Celtics fan and you're like, I don't like how the Sixers are growing. (laughs) I want to blow that organization up. They need to get Brian Colangelo out of there. I don't want them to sign any free agents. I want them to look like as big a chaotic organization as possible. I'm going to call someone at the Ringer or Sports Illustrated or ESPN or Fox or whoever and tip them off to this. Well... Now you got what you wanted, and and your team is better positioned if there's chaos in the front office of the rival team. So it's not just about reporters anymore. I call everyone out there a citizen journalist, anyone who has a social media account, anyone who has a smartphone, anyone who has a camera. They're all citizen journalists. It's not just the old school newspaper reporter or TV reporter or radio reporter anymore. That information that can come in from anywhere is is pretty astonishing. Yeah, and then like you said, everything's on the record. Screenshots, everything's saved. Everything, even though it's deleted, is still out there. So it's like once you put that out there or start, you know, bashing your players or bashing this or that or whatever, someone's going to see it. Right, and and totally unrelated, and I'm not even going to go into this because this isn't that type of show, but look at what happened to Roseanne this week, right? Yeah. One tweet, gone. game over. Yep. Game over. ABC cancels the show. Everyone on that show, from the cast to the producers to the camera people, everyone loses a job. Everyone loses income. One tweet. Yeah. One tweet. So when I tell people in our work with them, literally one post can change the course of your career. And other people involved with it. And other people. (laughs) I mean, we did a panel at our event, Sports PR Summit. Navigating PR in the zero tolerance era. Anyone who's listening to this right now, please understand. We are in the zero tolerance era. Okay. If you send out a tweet like Roseanne did and it was horrible and she should have been dealt with the way she was, in my opinion, but I'm not going to go into that. The bottom line is whether it's NBC with Matt Lauer, whether it's people around Harvey Weinstein, whether it's people with Bill Cosby or whether it's this with Roseanne. There's zero tolerance. Mm -hmm. Companies don't want to be associated with crisis, with toxicity, with controversy. They are cutting ties faster than they ever have before. And one post can cost you your career. And as I said on this show a few years ago, after Joe Paterno, you can go three quarters of your life. You can go four or three and a half quarters of your life and you can live life the right way. You're remembered for... The last two minutes of the game. The last one minute of the game. The last minute of what you do. Roseanne, Joe Paterno, Bill Cosby, Harvey Weinstein, Matt Lauer. First paragraph of their bios when they are dead and gone. Joe Paterno is dead and gone. Will include this controversy. Mm -hmm. And 
it's sad. That's what life has become. But it shows you, you have to be on every single day. If you live life perfectly, but then at the end you do something egregious and you screw it up, that's what people are going to remember. So, you know, whether it's Brian Colangelo, if he does lose this job or what happened to Roseanne this week, be very careful on social media because that one post can ruin everything for you. All right. Coming up next. My conversation with Athletes First Partners, Brian Murphy and Jim O'Connell. We did this as a sit-down in their offices in New York City. Great conversation. Really interesting to see what they're doing with the NBA Players Association. We even talk about how the new gambling law that's passed in the United States could impact players' associations. Because you know they're going to want a piece of that pie and all the extra revenue that's going to come in. That's coming up next. Then we've got... Brian Griggs sat down in the Blinder VIP green room with some of our uh, attendees at Sports PR Summit, conducted some great conversations there. That's what's coming up. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. I'll be right back. Sports Business Radio is sponsored by Boingo Wireless, the largest operator of indoor wireless networks in the U.S. Today's sports fans expect strong, fast mobile connections at their favorite stadiums. Research shows that fans will leave at halftime if they cannot get connected, which is part of the reason why professional and collegiate sports venues alike work with Boingo to manage their wireless networks. As the world's leading connectivity expert, Boingo knows how to make a venue's vision for the connected fan experience a reality. They are the only company that can provide end-to-end wireless service so teams can focus on the big game, not on their network. Boingo designs, installs, and manages Wi-Fi and cellular networks at university stadiums like K-State and the University of Houston and major league venues like Soldier Field, Phillips Arena, and Vivint Smart Home Arena. We're excited to showcase how technology is changing the business of sports, led by companies like Boingo. Boingo connects you to the people and things you love, like sports. For more information, visit boingo.com or email sports at boingo.com. All right, we are very happy to be at the MKTG offices in New York City. And I'm sitting down on this week's edition of Sports Business Radio with Brian Murphy, the CEO of Athletes First Partners, and Jim O'Connell, the president of Athletes First Partners. Guys, thanks for joining me. It's always fun to do these in person. Thanks for coming out to, uh, to New York to do this. Join yeah. us. Brian, great to be here. Yeah, you came, Brian, from uh, the West Coast, right? Well, I started in the West Coast. I spent yesterday in uh, Scranton, Pennsylvania, and okay. I went through a five-hour uh, plane delay there today. But oh. Glad to make it here. And, Jim, you're based here in Yeah, in I came all the way from my office around the, uh, around the corner <laughs> here, so it took me a full 30 seconds. Well, for our listeners, we're sitting high atop New York City. We have a beautiful view of... Uh, World Trade Center, mm-hmm. so uh, very nice space that MKTG has here. Let's start with a little bit of your background. I, our listeners are always interested in, in how you arrived at where you are now. Brian, why don't you talk a little bit about not only Athletes First Partners, but your background to get to this point. Sure. Um, well, I was raised up the, uh, up the way a little bit in Boston, Massachusetts. I lived in Boston for the first 30 years of my life. Uh, attended the University of Notre Dame, um, where I was a psychology major. Um, then I went to Harvard Law School. After Harvard Law School, I worked at the law firm of Ropes and Gray, and I did uh, mostly litigation work, which, as you can imagine, at a big law firm meant making a lot of copies and you know carrying a lot of briefcases <laughs> and, and stuff like that. But great experience learning how to negotiate from you know the best lawyers in the world. 
Um, I got a phone call, asked me if I wanted to be a sports agent in California, and that was in 1999. And I uh, took the phone call and went through a very lengthy interview process, and it came down to either myself or Rob Polinka for the uh, for the job. Fortunately for me, Rob Polinka took a job with Arn Tellum and went and started his uh, basketball agent career. And I took the job with Lee Steinberg and started my football agent career. And so I worked at Steinberg Moran and Dunn for two years. And then uh, I was 99 to 2001. And then 2001, uh, I left with Dave Dunn and we, we started Athletes First. And we've been doing that for the last 17 years. So many thoughts about the, the sports agent business. When you first got into it, what were your expectations? What did you think of what that landscape was? Well, when I got the job at Steinberg Moran and Dunn, I told my parents that I was going to move to California to be a sports agent. And my mom's response was, it was bad enough you're a lawyer, and now, <laughs> now you're going to be a sports agent. You know, you're going from worse to, you know, bad to worse. Um, yeah, I really didn't know what to expect. That was exactly the time period that Jerry Maguire okay, came out. Okay, I was going right? to say, yep. you, where did that fit in? Yeah, that was uh, the Jerry Maguire had come out. It had been filmed at the offices, you know, Lee Steinberg's offices where I was going to go right. work. And, you know, I, I, Lee Steinberg's book, uh, Winning with Integrity, had come out. Right. So I'd watched the movie, I'd read the book, and I really liked the book and what Lee had to say about um, helping athletes give back to charity and, you know, his whole business philosophy, which I thought was a good business philosophy. And, um, you know, so I look forward to becoming a sports agent and trying to use – um, my talents, which were not physical, right? My, my, my mental talents to uh, help athletes become the best people that they could become. And some of the clients are athletes first. Aaron Rodgers, more recently Deshaun Watson. You guys have had a pretty amazing roster. Well, we started off, our first client was Drew Bledsoe, you know, and John Lynch. And, Who, uh, by the way, you, this is audio, but at the end of the table here, Brad <laughs> Kinzer, my photographer, is very close friends with Drew Bledsoe. Oh, great! Yeah, I mean, so you, Brad, so you know, like you can't have a better foundation client than Drew Bledsoe. You know, he's uh, uh, he was a phenomenal football player. Mm -hmm. um, within months of starting the company, we negotiated the largest deal in NFL history for Drew. Um, so he's just a great football player, great client in that in that regard. Yeah, in a lot of fees, right? But um, just the greatest person imaginable. A great family comes from great parents, and he really embodies everything that we try to. Uh, to, to you know, do as a sports agency. We want to be just like Drew Bledsoe in many ways. So yesterday at our event, Sports PR Summit, that we were in town for, uh, we had double back wine yep. from Drew Bledsoe. So he's really done a nice job post-career, sports business-wise, of, of you know extending his uh, business life and, and really being a, a CEO of a pretty successful brand himself. And how was it? It was good. Oh, good. Yeah. You gotta have some. <laughs> so, so uh, as a sports agent, I'd like to take credit for that. You know, okay. A, so you're getting royalties on this. Uh, we don't get royalties. And we really had nothing to do with it. But you know, we like to <laughs> we like to talk about post career options. Um, but I will tell you a funny story quickly. You remember, Drew Bledsoe was the number one pick of the draft. Right. Rick Meyer was the number two pick of the draft. And, and as a rookie, Rick Meyer won the Offensive Rookie of the Year. Right. And the two of them had a uh, rivalry a competition right. that grew into a great friendship. And so when they were both done with their careers, they both wanted to start a winery. And what I have heard is that they were going to start together, but they couldn't determine who's going to be one, who's going to be two, right? Because they both wanted that to is fun. execute their own vision. <laughs> so they started their own vineyards, and uh, both are very successful. You have uh, Mirror Wine by Rick Meyer, and then Double Back by Drew Bledsoe. And you know, I know they have an ongoing rivalry between their wines uh, in, in a very friendly way. But it's, See, uh, that's the watch. kind of insight and backstories that we like here. Oh, yeah. Show. As an Irishman, I know all about quarterbacks producing <laughs> alcohol. That's good. <laughs>
So, Jim, yeah. you have background at NFL and NASCAR, and you're going to be the president of Athletes First Partners. A little bit about your background. NFL and NASCAR, obviously two huge brands that you've worked for. They were fantastic, and it's funny because I, I certainly didn't start my career knowing I would end up at Athletes First Partners as president, nor did I know I'd end up at the NFL or NASCAR. I was graduated from Georgetown with a degree in government, and I did what every government major does coming out of Georgetown, went in the investment banking world. <laughs> and uh, as I like to say to people, it, it was like going to the dentist. It was really good for me, but painful. And I knew right then I didn't want to be an investment banker the rest of my life. So I went back to business school at Duke, got my degree in marketing, and then started on the brand side for Frito-Lay and Pepsi and really learned the, the skill set of marketing and branding and what it meant to to build a brand and and this is one of those situations where good luck and, and hard work and preparation kind of come together. And as I like to say, never admit to the percentage of each what was good luck and what was what was hard work. And I was at Frito-Lay working on the brand, and the NFL decided to have a big-time NFL half- halftime show with Michael Jackson. It's the first time in history that the NFL had had that halftime show. The year before, if you remember, In Living Color had ambushed the NFL Super Bowl and had done their own halftime show, and everybody switched over, which obviously made the broadcasters unhappy. So the next year, the NFL said, we're going to have to go out and get a big-time halftime show, and we got Michael Jackson, who at the time was the biggest name on the planet, and they needed someone to sponsor it. So they came down to Frito-Lay, started talking to my boss, who fortunately had a vision and understood that we wanted to sign on and become the Super Bowl 27 halftime show presented by Frito-Lay. And I was fortunate enough to be working on the Frito-Lay business at the time and uh, signed on and started working with the NFL. And after about a year of being their client, they said, hey, Jim, you know, you, you seem to understand how to, how to utilize our assets, how a brand can utilize a property's assets to go out and, and reach their marketing objectives. Why don't you come to this side of the table and go out to corporate America and help teach other brands how to do the same? And that started me on my career in sports marketing some time ago. That's a great story. Um, so Athletes First Partners recently launched. Tell us a little bit about the company and the need that you guys are going to fill. Sure. So we're, we're started in March. We're a company that is uh, supported by Dentsu, which is fantastic. And, you know, when this came together, and our, our first charge really is to go out and represent the group licensing and sponsorship marketing rights for the National Basketball Players Association. And when Brian Murphy, the CEO who we just were chatting with, said to me, why don't you, why don't you think about this opportunity? I said, God, what a fantastic opportunity. If you, if you think about the product we're selling, I would argue the NBA is the hottest brand out there right now. I think the NBA players are truly the most athletic uh, folks on the planet. They're the most marketable. They're influencers. Uh, they're trendsetters. Uh, people see them off the court and follow them, and brands want to associate with them. So to have the opportunity to come in and, and sell the group licensing rights for the for the players was just fantastic. And to have the support of Dentsu and was was great. And then lastly, you look at the people, and, and I was immediately uh, won over by Brian and his vision of putting athletes first, putting properties first, what was important to him and about family. And I thought, well, it's a great product. It's great people. It's well-funded. What a great opportunity. So we started this in, in late March. Yeah, I agree with you that the NBA is the hottest U.S. sports property out there right now, and I'm sure you guys have traveled the world like I have, and when I travel abroad, I can't believe how well-known the NBA game is. It's watched. I've been to the Philippines and to Japan and China and Europe, and 
you know, big NBA fans all over the world. So that's got to be something that is an incredible opportunity. The other thing is I think the NBA uses social media as well as any league out there. There's really no off-season for them. No, they do a great job. And, it, you know, it's not surprising if you travel internationally, you see the, the fandom of the of the NBA. I think right now it's 28% of the NBA players are, were born overseas right now in the league. And that's up from less than 10% about 10 years ago. So tremendous improvement there. And it's just it's an international game. And I think if you talk about opportunities, there are tremendous opportunities domestically to align with brands, and there are even more opportunities internationally to align with brands that want to be with those trendsetters, be with those folks that, that can send a message and, and can really influence the people that they want to reach. This is for either one of you, but explain to our audience, so you've got the NBA Players Association. It's a collective. It's not like, oh, we're just representing the top 10 players in the league. It's the 450 players that make up the entire league. Explain to our audience, though, how that works. Like, let's say you're going to go make a deal with the property. Sure. I think a lot of people wonder, okay, how does that impact the actual players? Mm -hmm. So you go out and make a deal. Are they going out? Are you taking 10 of them that are going and, and activating the deal? What does it mean as far as them getting paid, all of that stuff? How does sure. that work? Sure. So I think the, the beauty of the, the, the Players uh, Association, they represent all 450 players, as you mentioned. Right. And there's an opportunity with every player for every different type of brand, which I think is fantastic. So we represent the group licensing. So it's an execution of three or more players in an execution or five or more in a single execution. So I'd give you an example. If, if somebody were doing a commercial and they used five different players in five different spots, okay. that would be a group licensing. If you use three players in a single shot, three players on a piece of point of sale or on a piece of packaging, that would be group licensing. So I think of... Like the State Farm commercial. Right. Chris Paul, James Harden, Trevor Ariza. So that is the three-person example. That's a that great example of a group licensing. Yeah. Yes. Interesting. Uh, maybe you can talk a little bit more about what your hopes are with the NBA Players Association and you know where they are now and, and where you hope to take them in the next couple of years. Yeah, listen, I, I, our number one goal is to, to monetize the assets of the Players Association. Uh, secondarily, we want to elevate the, the profiles of all 450 players. And it's not just about the top one, two, three, or five players. It's really about the entire union. And I think what's great about the, the way the PA is set up is they're truly committed to this. You know, Chris Paul, one of the biggest stars in the game, is mm -hmm. the president of right. the union because he cares about it and wants to make sure that everybody is represented fairly. So we're going to go out and we're going to represent all 450 players. And we're going to look, and some brands are going to want the, the top superstars in the league. And some, some brands are going to want more up-and-comers. Some are going to want more folks that, that play locally, some more nationally. So, again, I think there's a great opportunity for, for any of the 450 players for us to go out and market. So the NBA has partners. What are the rules and regulations around, okay, we can only do business with the NBA partners or we can go do business with anyone because we're the NBA Players Association. Well, I think the beauty of it, there are opportunities all around, Brian. So there's an opportunity to work with the league sponsors because they, they need us, the Players Association, and by, by association, Athletes First Partners, to utilize the players in, in marketing executions. Right. So they have to have a, a license from the NBA and they have to have a license from the Players Association. So I think there's a great way to complement what the NBA gives a, a sponsor in terms of their assets with what we can bring in activating the players. 
Also, at the same time, there's a great opportunity to go out and talk to competitors of the league sponsors that are shut out of that category for that very reason. And they still want an authentic marketing program utilizing the NBA players, but they may not need the assets that the NBA is bringing them. There are also great opportunities to go out to talk to team sponsors that, again, want to activate and, and complement what they're doing with the players, to talk to all the advertisers on ESPN, on Turner, folks that clearly are invested in the game and understand the, the power of the NBA but maybe haven't, haven't decided yet to go to the point of where they're going to be a sponsor of the league. Uh, so I think there are opportunities all around, and that's part of the beauty of working with the, with the PA so we can talk to all these different brands, and I think there are opportunities for each of them. Are these mostly uh, commercial deals? Are there any digital deals that could come into play as far as what you guys would negotiate for the Players Association? Absolutely. And, you know, you mentioned before that the NBA, the league itself is great with social media, as mm-hmm. are the players. And, you know, we had one of our big success stories on, on Mother's Day. I don't know if you saw the Budweiser spot which premiered um, uh, during the broadcast of the game on Mother's Day. And it was an homage to the to players' moms out there right. and the great advice that they've given players throughout the year. And it was highlighted by Kevin Durant's famous speech when he accepted the MVP award and thanked his mother, Wanda. So there was a voiceover by Wanda talking about the lessons that she's taught Kevin, and it featured other moms in there and other players. But AB, although they only showcased that once on TV, they played it on, on line for eight days, and that's really where it was executed the most. So I, I think there's great opportunity yeah. to spread this message, not just on linear TV, but more importantly through social channels as well. Brian, so we're talking about NBA players. You've worked a lot with NFL players. One of the things that sports business, sports marketing people have always talked about with me is NBA players are so recognizable because they don't have all the armor on. They don't wear a helmet. They're more marketable than NFL players who do have the armor on and do have the helmet. Do you find, by working with both of them, that that's the case? Or, uh, you know, it just seems like with this opportunity with the NBA, it's a little bit easier because people can see the faces of the players. Sure. I mean, I think there's certainly NFL players who um, can overcome the obstacle of having a helmet on during the game. Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers one of them. <laughs> I'm sure Tom Brady does pretty, pretty recognizable, yeah. you know, wherever he goes. Deshaun's headed that way. Yeah, absolutely. But I think as a, as a, as a, as a general statement, you know, mm-hmm. basketball players, you know, there's, there's fewer basketball players on each team. There's fewer players in the league. Uh, they do um, play without a helmet on. And I think because of that, they're more recognizable in our country. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you know, the game is being shown all over the world, like you said. I was in Israel uh, two weeks ago and walking through uh, Jerusalem at night, and they had uh, playoff games on. That's uh, and amazing. And watching them is amazing. <laughs> I never had that experience wow. in a football game, you know. So I think that, you know, one, that they wow. don't wear helmets, and two, that they just have that more TV exposure around the world uh, makes uh, NBA players uh, more marketable in general than, than the football players. So... You're working with NBA Players Association. Do you look at other associations or what would be some clients that you'd say, hey, maybe if we do well with this and showcase this and show everyone, you know, this is kind of the the anchor client with Athletes First Partners, here's what we would hope to parlay this into with future clients. Well, I think the uh, the purpose of setting up uh, NBA Athletes First Partners was to create a company 
that worked with entities as opposed to individuals. Because what we do at Athletes First is we represent individuals, and that's gone very well, and we, we like our business philosophy, as Jim said, about putting the athletes first. So now we want to see if that could transition to putting an entity first. You know, But what we did at Athletes First over the first 15 years was nothing but football. You know, We did football players. We did their marketing. We did the contract negotiations. We served them. We helped them with charity. But we didn't branch out for 15 years because we wanted to make sure that we did football as well as anyone, if not better than everyone. And I think that we'll have the same philosophy at Athletes First Partners is that we have the honor uh, and the privilege to work with uh, the MBPA. You know, it's a fantastic union, and I think one of the things that we want to do with the union, in addition to what Jim said, we also want to brand the union itself, you know, as, as, a, as a union that's looking to change the way unions are perceived. And the union wants to create their own legacy on behalf of itself and the 450 players, and we have a lot of work to do in that regard. So for the time being, we're going to um, take it slow, and we're going to put at the MBPA first, and mm-hmm. we're going to do everything we can to accomplish the goals that we discussed in, in, in forming the partnership. And then if we do that well and we've, we've established, we've, we've hit those goals, I'm sure other entities will mm-hmm. come along and they'll want us to um, partner with them and do this, put them first, just like we are the MBPA. But for right now, our focus is almost is entirely on the MBPA. Yeah, I mean, I'll say this. You guys don't have to. But I've been doing this a while. And what I've found is until recently, and there's still some leagues, they're disorganized. They're not set up with the structure to do what you're going to do for them. So to me, I would, I would guess the Nirvana scenario for you would be we're doing what we're doing with the NBA for all the U.S. sports leagues and, and maybe even globally with leagues around the world because, again, most of the players' associations, they have presidents like Chris Paul, they have uh, Michelle Roberts and, and people like that, but they're not out there talking to these companies like you're going to be and. You're already out having those conversations anyway, so why not represent the players' associations who don't have that infrastructure and and make deals, right? Listen, I think uh, it's been great to work with the NBA Players Association. They've been an ideal partner so far, and have we're totally aligned on strategy and on, on our vision. And you know, they hired us to do a job, and as Brian said, we're very much looking forward to representing them and focusing solely on them right now. Um, and, um, you know, it's again, going back to product and people and, and support. That, that's all you can ask for. And they've been a fantastic partner so far. We think we're going to do some really great things for them. And to your point, Brian, real yeah. quick, I think I, I do agree with you in one regard in that, you know, most unions, most leagues, they don't have a Jim O'Connell. Like, right. Working, right. Because what Jim is, Jim explained, like Jim has been doing sponsorships and partnerships for 20 years on behalf of the league and on behalf of NASCAR and he is, you know, one of the best, if not the best, at what he does, right? And so, and then he's put together a team of individuals who have as, you know, almost a long history in doing sponsorships or licensing or uh, marketing and whatnot. And so they have the athletes first partners. Um, the team has this expertise that you can't find in uh, in leagues and in, in, in agencies and unions or whatnot. And I think that. Uh, as you said, as they do their job for MBPA, other entities, whatever the entity may be, would be foolish to say, hey, let's go get these experts right. to do this job. And that was my yeah. point. Yeah, they do because they do it better than anyone else. So, yeah, as, as, as we go forward, you know, people are going to ask them to do it for them. It's just inevitable. So, Brian and Jim, you've done a great lo- job of building relationships with athletes previously. Have you sat down with NBA players, Chris Paul, or anyone else to say, 
from the player's perspective, what would you hope to get out of this partnership? Well, that's going to be a big part of, of what we do when we're in the process of our business planning now and understanding what causes are important to the players. Because I think that's what's really going to motivate them to get involved. Um, you know, they, they are clearly about social change. They're about making an impact in their communities. And we want to make sure that we're out there promoting the causes that are important to them. A, because we'll, it'll be most effective and we know that we'll get their, their complete attention and, and uh, participation in it. So those discussions are happening now. And so the, the players, much like the Player Association, have been wonderful to work with. Uh, they're a great client to have. And, and we're, we, again, we think we're going to do great things with them. So uh, Japanese advertising firm Dentsu is a big part of all of this. How can you utilize some of their assets and expertise? I say just like Jim is the uh, expert in sponsorships and partnerships here in, in our country and with NASCAR and, and NFL and internationally, of course, you know, that's what Dentsu does better than anyone else. I mean, they're doing the sponsorships for the 2020 Olympics. They've done it for FIFA World Cup. They do it for all the federations throughout Europe. And so they have a 100-year-plus history of doing this at the highest level. And I think that having them as our partner, both at Athletes First and Athletes First Partners, gives us an opportunity to learn from the very best and to go to Japan or have them come over here and sit down and learn from the way their process and, and the way they've structured things and how they view partnerships and sponsorships and, you know, tap into, um, you know, 100 year expertise and really learn from, from what they've done and why they've been so successful. Yeah, Brian, I'd say, you know, I've been fortunate to work for, for two of the best leagues in the, in the country and, and the NFL for 10 plus years and NASCAR for 11 last leaving as the chief sales officer there. Fantastic experience, great people, and been able to touch a lot of brands. I've never had this network available to me that the Dentsu network brings to me. Right. And that's really exciting to think about. The expertise, the network, the contacts, the international reach. That's something that, that makes someone like myself that's used to putting together partnerships and, and deals. Having that extra resource is very exciting. This is totally off topic, but it's a <laughs> recent development. And, and, you know, Griggs and I talked about this last week on our show. I would argue in the 14 years we've done this show, this may be the biggest story when it's all said and done. Gambling could be legalized in the United States. So I look at the ripple effect of what that's going to mean, and one of the ripples is that there's going to be a lot of money bet and not only are the leagues talking about integrity fees with this, we want 1% integrity fee because they're going to have to manage and monitor the referees and there's going to be all these other things that they're not doing now that they're going to have to take into consideration. But when I saw this, I thought whether it's NBA Players Association, NFL, whoever it is, even the NCAA, players are going to want a piece of this. This is kind of the Wild West. Like I know that there's a template in Europe where gambling is legal, but I guess my question to you is, that's probably one of the things that you've got to put in your brain, like, okay, eventually we may have to negotiate this on behalf of the player, some deal, so that if there's billions of dollars being spent on gambling, they're getting a piece of that pie. Yeah, I think you've seen it already. I think all the leagues and all the player associations come out with statements talking about protecting the integrity and also talking about protecting the IP, which is very important. So. Listen, there, there's going to have to be figured out the balance between what's what's public domain and what's ownable IP. Clearly, it crosses the line here when we get into the, the gambling uh, conversation. 
but that'll be figured out. And I think there's it's a true opportunity for everybody, so I'm confident it'll be figured out. And, and the, I mean, from an agent's point of view, the players now have information that's you know much more valuable than it was before. You know, again, you could always gamble in Nevada, of course, right? Sure. In other places, but now that you can gamble, you know, now that the the road has been paved to gamble in every state. You know, you go talk to Kyrie Irving about how, or he posts on Instagram about how his ankle is feeling, or if right. he got a proper sleep last night, or all these factors that could impact the, the the game. And it has nothing to do with the integrity of the game; it just has to do with his body, what he owns, and right. and whatnot. And all of a sudden, that information becomes valuable. You know, and so do you create a, uh, you know, a player's health account where they're 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 posting how their health is, and people are subscribing to that mm. nineteen ninety nine a month. Uh, to get the best information they right. can to gamble. You know, it's a, it's a whole Wild West that would be That's actually a really interesting point that you bring up. I didn't even think about that element of it. Because I think we're going to get to the day, whether it's two years, five years, ten years, where you're going to be sitting at a sporting event, you're going to be on your smartphone, there's going to be an app on your phone, and you're going to be able to say, you know what, I'm going to watch this game, I'm going to place a bet on it. And again, this is already happening in Europe. Right. There's going to be halftime wagering. Hey, is my team going to come back in the second half? I went to Super Bowl two years ago in Las Vegas. Uh, MGM hosted me there. And it was the Patriots-Falcons Super Bowl. Where (laughs) I had a guy two seats down from me that had 60 grand on the Falcons. And in the first half, this guy was the happiest guy. He's in a great mood. He's in a great mood. He was literally doing cartwheels throughout the casino, talking trash to everyone. By the end of that game, he looked like he had just seen a ghost. I mean, he, he was not a happy guy. But what was interesting for me is I went behind the scenes and I saw how they set all the lines and the halftime lines. Yeah. And so I think this is going to be a really big deal. And, and eventually, like you said, like information like you just described and the players, they're going to want a piece of the action. Like if, if I'm being utilized in this way i want a piece of the action as well should be the case they're they're the product yeah it's interesting i you know when i was at the nfl in the beginning of the 90s before fantasy got big and the nfl was one of the first leagues to always talk about gambling and distancing themselves from gambling for for the reasons at the time and then as fantasy started to take off we we started to notice that the league the interest that it promoted and people all of a sudden cared about games they didn't care yes. about, and they cared about players they didn't care about, and they were tuning in and they were going online. It just created this this tremendous interest that wasn't there before. And I think you're going to see the same thing now with the legalized gambling, that it will increase the interest and it will be a boost for all the leagues. And you know, I think we went through this a couple of years ago with FanDuel and DraftKings of at what point do you have to do a deal with a league, with a player association to get rights, right. to get data, to get stats. And there's a there's a fine line there. Um, but again, I, I think given the tremendous opportunity for everybody involved, it will get worked out. It's going to take a little bit, though. Is there anything out there right now that we're not thinking of that are deals of the future, so to speak? So again, you know, we're talking about sports gambling, but you know, I just see this all happening so fast. Like ten years ago, we weren't talking about digital rights like we're talking about them today. You guys have to be in a position where you're always anticipating not really what's happening today, but what's going to happen two years from now, five years from now, ten years from now. As sports business and marketing experts, what are those deals? So, Brian, I don't know. I don't know yet. If I did, uh, I'm not sure I would tell you. I would (laughs) probably keep them to myself. But you bring up a very interesting point again. I think about my early days in sports marketing uh, when I first started the NFL, and it it was still the sports marketing where a company got involved with a brand, maybe because the CEO liked the sport, liked to be around athletes. They needed some tickets, maybe some signage. 
And then you went through this transition where it wasn't about the tickets and the signage. It was truly about return on investment mm-hmm. and showing results. And all of a sudden, the CFOs got involved and procurement people got involved and all the folks that don't necessarily have a sense of humor about sports got involved. But that was good. It made us better at our job. It made us understand that we had to come pitch a, a solution for someone that had a challenge or had a problem. Um, and we make sure we, 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 we want to make sure we provide that solution. Because if it's just about tickets or if it's just about signage or something that doesn't solve a, an issue for them, they're never going to come back. We may get them the first time. So anyway, you, you see this transition happening. What's next? I mean, the last revolution is probably the digital revolution in, in sports marketing. I'm not sure what's next, but that's what we spend a lot of time thinking about. All right, we're going to end on this. I have a final question for, for each of you. Uh, Brian, I'll start with you, and I'll give you both questions so you can be taking time Great. to think about it. You guys notes. <laughs> I want to know from you, Brian, what makes an athlete memorable? Because to me, I really think a big part of marketing is the storytelling part of it, and obviously the on-field play. Certain athletes very memorable, Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Aaron Rodgers. And then, Jim, I'm going to ask you about what makes a campaign memorable. So let's start with you, Brian. What makes an athlete, you know, one of the things I've been so impressed about athletes first over the years is you work with quality athletes. They're, they're good people. Right. So obviously that's something that you guys have put thought into. What makes an athlete who is going to sign with athletes first memorable to the public? Sure. I mean, I think that memorable can have a positive or negative connotation, sure. right? Like, for example, you, we were talking about your guest, you know, Michael Vick, right, who has had had very memorable moments in a positive way, and as he uh, talked about with you, memorable moments in a negative way. Right. I mean, one of our most memorable clients, you know, will will probably go down as Aaron Hernandez, you know, who mm-hmm. only played uh, three years in the NFL, mm-hmm. but obviously was on the front pages of everything all over the place, you know, for his murder trials and then um, his, you know, his death. So I think that, you know, what makes an athlete memorable um, going forward, and I think this is why we know so much more about Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Hernandez than we did maybe about a Jim Kelly and Dan Marino, mm-hmm. is um, how real they are and how the fan, how transparent they can be to the fans. And as we go to all different types of content, I mean, Athletes First just did a, uh, a series on NFL Network and NFL.com uh, that Aaron Rodgers was the executive producer. And, you know, to the extent that Aaron's able to go out and create his own content mm-hmm. and tell his story, as you said, and this is what you do, right, you tell a lot of stories, uh, he's able to tell his story in a genuine, authentic manner, and he's able to reach the fans through different, whether it's social media, digital media, or the next phase of media. I think that's ultimately how a player becomes the most memorable, is that the the highest number of fans who he can touch in an authentic manner with his own content, and he can tell his own story. And I think you talk about the wave of the future. I think one way for athletes, and this is something that agents need to be cognizant of, is that athletes are going to start taking over their own content. You know, right. They're not going to do a ESPN 60, for, 60 by 60 or 30 by 30 because, you know, everyone makes money there except the athlete. Right. I think the athletes are going to start, and we've seen it with Uninterrupted, we've seen it with Bleacher Report, we've seen it with Players Tribune. Players Tribune. And I think but it's going to take the next level where the players are going to create their own Tribune. They're going to create their own podcast. They're going to create their own, um, you know, content uh, distributors, and uh, they'll be very successful with that. I think that was what ultimately will make it more memorable. Jim? So my, my first job coming out of Duke Business School was working for Frito-Lay, as I mentioned, and our ad agency at the time was BBDO, and BBDO created great spots, very memorable spots, and had a, a chairman there, Phil Dusenberry, who was legendary for, for his vision and understanding. 
I remember sitting in meetings with him and Roger Enrico, who was the chairman of PepsiCo at the time, and talking about what made something a brand memorable. So it's an easy question to answer. And their idea was that it's one of two things. It either because it's really humorous, and you remember it, and I'd give an example of Anheuser-Busch and Dilly Dilly. Right. And it's funny. Everybody talks about it. It's, it's humorous. Or secondarily and more serious, that it, it clearly communicates the brand attribute. What is it about? What's the point of difference with this brand? So it's one or the other. And I think if you, if you look at most memorable campaigns in sports or, frankly, in any marketing campaign, it's one of the two. It's either very humorous, mm-hmm. you remember it, and it's repeated, becomes part of pop culture, where you clearly understand what that brand attribute is. And I know we can do that with the MVPA and the players. We can go out there and help brands achieve those objectives. Brian and Jim, thank you so much for taking time to chat with us on Sports Business Radio. And I wish you guys the best of success moving forward. And it's really nice to do this in person. Usually, Griggs and I are sitting in our studio and we're on the phone with people. So it's great to do this in person. Thanks for having us. Thanks for coming. Brian, it's great. Fun. Thank you. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Sports Business Radio is brought to you by MKTG. MKTG is a leading global lifestyle and marketing agency with 33 offices in 19 countries, including sports centers of excellence in New York, Paris, Madrid, Melbourne, and Tokyo. MKTG specializes in delivering strategic business-oriented marketing solutions for leading brands via sport and entertainment marketing, live experiences, retail marketing, hospitality, B2B engagement, and sponsorship marketing. Visit the MKTG website at mktg.com and review their insightful findings as part of their Decoding 2.0 study. Decoding 2.0 solidifies the need for a shift in thinking when selecting and marketing sport and lifestyle sponsorships. This unique study arms brand marketers with the quantitative data they need to specifically target those consumers most open to brand messaging and sponsorship, as well as provides a specific roadmap that identifies those tactics likely to produce the most receptive fans. Until now, the sponsorship industry has focused more on fan passion and avidity to identify sponsorships and develop activation strategies. Decoding 2.0 reveals the need to also understand the importance of fan receptivity. Follow MKTG on Twitter at MKTG. We'll bring MKTG's expertise to life during future segments on Sports Business Radio, so stay tuned for those. Here with Brian Polyakoff, and uh, he was head of the first panel today on the Sports PR Summit. So, uh, How do you think it went? I think it went very well, thanks to the esteemed panelists that we had on the panel. I think we learned a lot, and I think it was really fantastic to have some folks here from outside the sports industry, um, you know, unveil some best practices. Yep, Southwest Airlines, I thought, was uh, such a key, because the airlines industry has been crazy the last year, just with PR things and different things. So I thought that was really cool, having Southwest here. How'd you feel that went? I I thought it was great. Brooks Thomas, social business advisor at Southwest, provided some amazing insight. And I think that one of many key learnings I think he brought to the group was, Waiting for a crisis is way too late to have a crisis plan that crosses over from executives to the PR teams to the digital teams. And Southwest has proven they are ready to go in the event of emergency. Yep. And um, frankly, they have an emergency every day. There's no <laughs> day that goes by that an airline does not have angry right. customers, even on things they can't control. Well, you think about it. You're, you're putting 200 people on an airplane. How many times a day? There's Something's <laughs> going to go wrong probably. Oh, absolutely. So I think I like how you said, too, you got to be ready for the crisis, not be you know you got to be proactive not reactive mm-hmm. and i think uh that's he brought some key points i thought it was fabulous too because uh and and cool having outside of the sports world too because there's so much pr with airlines and we, like i said you're dealing with people so it's obviously going to come up and then you also had uh, arizona um 
Coyotes, right? Yes, we had uh, Marissa O'Connor who runs social strategy over there, and I think she provides some great insight too. Because you know, hey, we're all fans of sports teams. There are no louder customers or fans than local sports fans. I'm from Philadelphia. <laughs> there you go. Um, we take, you know, we take a beating in the press for maybe being one of the loudest uh, fan bases, <laughs> but um, I don't envy the position Marissa is in because you know you can never do the right thing every day to make all of your fans happy. And she really dived into a situation they had last year with, uh, I think it was a 20-year player, Shane Doan, who was one of their captains. Right. And you know they made the difficult choice on the business side not to re-sign him. Um, and she and her team had to come up with a plan to uh, unveil messaging that would um, help offset some of that noise. And uh, I think she really dived into um, focusing on what they currently had versus uh, too much on what Shane did for them. Of course, they did a lot of nice things sure. in Shane, but they really focused on their new message, which, which was they were going young and rebuilding. I love that. And you, you, stuff is so social now. Everything's out there instantly. So you're always playing catch-up almost. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like you could literally have staff that just follows your team and your social side of it and all that stuff so that's fascinating and your third uh, person on the panel was yeah matthew hiltzik who uh runs his own firm he's president and ceo of hiltzik strategies and the perspective he brought you know he's a, a longtime pr exec and he provided insight both inside and outside of sports he represents usually more individuals and clients um going through major crises and i think he provided a lot of insight also on who your audience is when you uh have a crisis and messaging to get out there. And sometimes it could be everyone. Sometimes it could be just the press. It could be consumers only, like in Marissa's case, representing a team. Um, but it could also be angry customers that <laughs> nearly everyone can have on a, on a daily basis, and especially Brooks, um, you know, dealing with that at Southwest Airlines. Love it. Well, uh, I think that's all we got. Thanks, and congrats to your uh, Eagles for the Super Bowl champions. Oh, I'm still riding that. Thank you so much. <laughs> I'm sure everybody is in the whole state. Absolutely. Thank you so much. <laughs> Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. Bringing you the biggest names in sports business. Without further ado, we all know this gentleman. Let's give David Stern a big round of applause. Let's welcome the president of the NCAA, Mark Emmer. Give him a hand. Let's give a big hand to USC alum and co-owner of the Lakers and president of the Lakers, Jeannie Buss. Thank you for having me. What a nice turnout. Thank you so, so much for having me, Brian. It was very, very kind, and I really enjoyed it. Thank you, sir. Sir Charles, how are you? I'm doing good, man. How you doing this morning? Today's guest is Memphis Grizzlies head coach David Fisdale. You're the man, Barrett. My guest is tennis icon Chris Albert. He was very interesting. You asked great questions, so thank you very much, Brian. Pleased to welcome to the show... Kyrie Irving, the number one pick in the 2011 NBA Draft. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm happy to be joined by Pete Carroll, the executive VP of football operations and the head football coach of the Seattle Seahawks. Coach, how are you? Doing good. What's going on? Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. Visit sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Stay connected to the business side of sports only with Sports Business Radio. Okay, Brian Griggs here for Sports Business Radio. We have David Cohen here on the mic. How are you doing, David? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing awesome, and uh, you're here at the Sports PR Summit. You've been here a couple times, I think, right? This is actually my first oh, this time. This is your first one. Okay, cool. They usually don't let uh, lawyers in, in, in <laughs> yeah, events Yeah, they don't like want this, lawyers yeah. anywhere, right? <laughs> That's funny. Uh, Does anyone want lawyers around? Uh, Come on. Well, you know. We'll, no comment. No. So you've known Brian, though, for a while, right? I've known Brian for a while, yes. Tell me what you do. What's your, what's your title? What is your day job? What do you do? Well, right now, I'm the founder of... Major League Business, we are a sports consulting firm. We uh, have done a lot in both the sports industry as well as with, with some related startups. So cool. everything from working with, uh, with teams that are existing, Major League level teams, helping them with everything from concessionaires to uh, management of different issues, HR issues, insurance issues. Wow. Um, even, even looking at 
you know, sponsorship programs. We've, we've done that with some nonprofits as well, but we're also working with a few different startups and helping them build and scale. We have a minor league soccer team that's cool. uh, one of our clients right now, as well as a virtual reality rehab platform wow. called Therapy. So a little bit of a lot of things. I love that. It, it's so cool nowadays because you got so much stuff. Every day there's something new coming out. You know, like you said, virtual reality is huge right now and social stuff and apps and all that stuff. So you got exciting job. It's something different all the time. And that's, and that's part of the fun, the, the innovation that, mm-hmm. that you see in the startup world. And in, in the sports world, but with the startup world, one of the things that's really interesting is that the group of people that are there really build empires on shoestring budgets. Yeah. And the creativity that, that having that, that lack of resources brings is, uh, you know, it's pretty amazing when you see what people do with so it little. Is. It and, is. And some of the empires that have been built. It's crazy. My, uh, I have an 11 year old son, big into the Fortnite game right now, which is a free game you can play. Mm hmm. They're making tons of money. It's crazy. Just a free yes. free app game you download and play it, and all of a sudden they've just blown up in six months. It's crazy. My son plays a game called Roblox. He's he's, okay. uh, yep. he's eight and a half. Yep. And uh, you know you watch him, and, and and a lot of it is free. It's it's much the same, but yeah. but you can also buy inside you, the game within, within the right. game, it's and it's it's amazing for something that's free to have that premium piece. Yeah. Um, the way to monetize yeah. it, it, it's really exploded. And it's, it's been interesting to see in the technology world that, that, uh, mm-hmm. that freemium model where you start with the free and then the premium yeah. features with, uh, with an add-on or to, to buy something within the game and it's a recurring purchase. Yeah, Once you use those, yeah. that in-game currency, you have to buy it again in order to get the next right. level, the next... You become addicted, you have to keep yes, doing it. The, you know, the next... Whatever you know, it is. Superpower, yeah. whatever it may be. The skin. So. I think there's skins you can buy. The color of the sword you're using. It's all this crazy stuff. But it's exciting. And, and like you said, it's just constantly developing. And you see it from startups, which is pretty cool. Like uh, the virtual stuff. Tell me about the virtual. Uh, what was the virtual doctor you were talking about? It, or virtual reality rehab platform. That's what it was. And uh, it's called Therapy. It's therapytherapy.com. That's cool. And the thought is is that we want to gamify rehab. And one of the, one of the issues that a lot of people have when they get hurt is that uh, – um, insurance companies don't necessarily like to pay large amounts, right. um, so they end up sending people home with home programs rather than doing a lot of in physical therapy sure. uh, center visits. And with even within a physical therapy center, it's it, it, it's not always the most engaging. So what Verapy did is they tried to gamify it, and mm-hmm. you put on a VR headset, That's cool. and you you go through your exercises within the world of a game. Wow. Um, and the thought is is that if you make it more engaging, you get better compliance and better adhesion to the program. And if you get better adhesion to the program, better compliance, you ultimately get better results. I love that. So uh, the founder was actually, one of the two founders was was a tennis player that hurt his ankle. Hmm. And the rehab took him a lot longer than he expected it to just because the rehab was, in his opinion, so boring. So the thought is, is let's make this fun. Let's make rehab and getting back to... Yeah, why so, not? It's fun. Well, that's great. I'm uh, I'm glad you're here today. I hope you're having a good day. Uh, you've been through two panels so far. How do you enjoy them so far? The, 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 they've all been been really really good. Um, the speakers have been incredible, and, and it's interesting as someone that's traditionally been involved in the business and legal side and hasn't been a, a PR expert, sure. but have worked with some really really good ones during yeah. my years yeah. um, with with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and, and, and Los Angeles Angels. Cool. Um, some of the best PR staffs um, in the business. It's it's really neat to kind of see things from a different mm-hmm. perspective and, and understand where the PR people are coming from. And I, I really look at it this way: is that there, there's got to be a partnership that develops between legal and, and, and PR For sure. before you have a crisis. And it's nice to be able to you know go out to lunch every so often and just talk as people, mm-hmm. understand what what is important from a legal. Uh, Perspective sure. from from a PR person have a PR person understand what what a lawyer is looking for, yep. and when you get develop those relationships before 
you're yeah. thrown into the fire. <laughs> exactly. I, I found that many times as a result, the, the end way that things are managed is better because you're more yeah. cohesive. You can understand you're not fighting over a word. Um, you understand why they want to use a word and right. why it's, you can explain and they'll understand why it's problematic and you can work together and collaborate and come up with a, with a, yeah. with a word within that statement that works for both of you. It's like be proactive rather than reactive, right? Absolutely. <laughs> and Absolutely. With, I loved having the Southwest Airlines on there today because airlines has just been, there's tons of stuff going on lately with them. It's cool to hear that perspective. Well, well and, and nobody, tweets or, or raves or posts <laughs> right. on Facebook when they have a great experience. Right. Or maybe maybe every once in a while when someone gets upgraded. Oh, look, yeah. I got upgraded. <laughs> but, but the people talk and they complain and they mm-hmm. videotape yep. when bad things happen. Right. There's no uh, social media account of 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 great passengers that sure. you find that help me, you know, help the old lady take the take her her right. uh, her suitcase down from the overhead bin. Mm-hmm. But there's entire accounts mm-hmm. that uh, do nothing but shame passengers exactly. that misbehave. Yeah. So, um, but it was interesting to hear someone from that industry talk about uh, some of the challenges that they've faced and how they had dealt with you know Southwest with with some pretty big issues, especially recently. Yep. Well, David, thanks for uh, sitting down with me and having a good uh, conversation, and appreciate you being here. Thank you, Brian. It's been it's been a pleasure. It's been an honor, and I'm uh, looking forward to some more great panels today. Sounds good. Sports Business Radio is sponsored by Boingo Wireless, the largest operator of indoor wireless networks in the U.S. Today's sports fans expect strong, fast mobile connections at their favorite stadiums. Research shows that fans will leave at halftime if they cannot get connected, which is part of the reason why professional and collegiate sports venues alike work with Boingo to manage their wireless networks. As the world's leading connectivity expert, Boingo knows how to make a venue's vision for the connected fan experience a reality. They are the only company that can provide end-to-end wireless service so teams can focus on the big game, not on their network. Boingo designs, installs, and manages Wi-Fi and cellular networks at university stadiums like K-State and the University of Houston and major league venues like Soldier Field, Phillips Arena, and Vivint Smart Home Arena. We're excited to showcase how technology is changing the business of sports, led by companies like Boingo. Boingo connects you to the people and things you love, like sports. For more information, visit boingo.com or email sports at boingo.com. Brian Griggs with Sports Business Radio here with Farron from uh, Tagboard. Hello, everybody. How are you? Doing wonderful. How are you? I'm doing great, and uh, thanks for being part of the Sports PR Summit today. Awesome. This is my third year. I, I look forward to this event every single year, so yeah. I wouldn't miss it for the world, and, and Brian and his team always put on a really great event. So. I agree. It's fun coming. You're West Coast-based, too. Yep. Cross-country for this thing. There it is. So we'd, we'd venture across the entire United States to can bring this to you. Uh, so tell me about Tagboard. What are you guys doing today? So we are powering all of the social visualizations here at Sports PR Summit. Um, so we're bringing in all the content coming in uh, using the hashtag, uh, hashtag Sports PR Summit, uh, bringing all that content together uh, for moderation, you know, to see what goes on the video board and putting it out there for, for all the participants to see and also for people that aren't here can kind of see, you know, follow that hashtag and, and kind of see what's going on here today. So it's if fun. you're not here, we're not, we're not going to send you videos. <laughs> what's going on? It's a little secret club That's that we right. have here. So people can follow along the hashtag and they can create tag boards and, and, uh, uh, follow along with the conversation, but we're aggregating it here uh, for everybody to see as they're uh, live uh, in the sessions. It's cool concept too, because if being here at the panel, you have a whole screen that's over to the, to the side that has the up to the second tweets coming yep. in, which is cool. I mean, you're sitting there, and then there's your tweet on the screen, which is pretty cool. I just it. saw mine a few seconds ago <laughs> before I walked in. Nice. Uh, I'm not going to say that I was responsible for, for <laughs> moderating it and putting that one on the video board, right. but 
I um I did see my right before I came out there, and it yeah. was an awesome tweet. It's a cool concept because it's like everything nowadays is so every second. You know, there's always something happening every second. Everybody wants to know the news. They don't want to wait till the night news or whatever. Right. And with your guys' stuff, you can follow along on a conversation where you're not even here. You can kind of get the vibe of what's going on, see who's, you know, pictures, whatever's Exactly. Happening. And then you can also bring the conversation to life for people that are here. Right. So, you know, we're all sitting here in a room listening to speakers and, you know, we have a television right there that's showing us and, uh, you know, quotes or photos or um, people's interpretations or people's, you know, responses to the conversations that are happening live and, and in real time. So I think it's a very cool tool to bring here. And, and obviously we, we bring it to hundreds of thousands of other entities, you know, right. beyond sports PR summit, but I always love kind of seeing it here and being here in person for it. You joined us for barbecue last night which was amazing awesome and um you were talking about some of the athletes and things you do other you know other side of tag board like what do you do with athletes um, so I do some PR and marketing consultant for NFL athletes. So, um, I help kind of bridge their, their gap on the off the field entity. So whether it's a foundation, whether they are, um, working towards developing, um, you know, causes and things that they're passionate about the field or, or whether it's just kind of doing normal marketing stuff. So, you know, you know, if you have a, a big guy in a big market, you know, what can I do to put him out there? What can I do to make him relatable to the fans? What can I do to make him relatable to the community and, and get him involved in his new city? So, um, I have a first rounder this year that went to the Vikings my cues and uh it's you know this time right now is getting him adjusted to his new city and obviously sure. he's he's head down in OTA so when he <laughs> is able to kind of resurface and breathe I help him kind of um handle everything off the field so it's it's great because uh my two worlds blend very uh yeah. very well like I was telling you last night mm-hmm. um at barbecue is it's you know Mike got drafted to the Vikings right uh, the Vikings are one of my most innovative tag board clients to sure. date um they do everything on the platform that you can possibly imagine, whether it's bringing social to their in-game, whether it's doing stuff with Snapchat, Instagram stories, uh, stuff on the web, and on, they're about to go in, on the broadcast side of things with their new um, setup over there in Egan. And um, it's it's going to be awesome. So it's funny that my world's been like that, that cool? but it's all, you know, it kind of all started here at Tagboard, just really kind of meeting all these different people and, yeah. and networking and, and just learning. It, that's what it is, too. That's what's so cool about this event is it's, it's literally like a, a networking of, like, some of the best PR people in the world. Right, it's exactly. So and it's not, and nobody here is, um, like, it, it's all very genuine. It's sure. all very natural. It's not, you're not kind of, I, I brought a whole stack of business cards. I don't even know why I did. Yeah. I don't hand those out. Right. I just, my, my, my goal here is to meet people and understand what they do and, and how, you know, their day to day job is, what my day to day job is at Tagboard and, um, and connect. And then down the road, if we can work together, great. Yeah. Um, you know, but yeah, it's, it's funny. I bring, I bring business cards every year and I'm like, you know what? <laughs> I, I, I'm having such a good time talking to you. I, I don't want to give you my business card because now I feel like that means that the conversation is ending. Right, right. It's funny too because everything is so – you meet people that you never meet face-to-face. So it's a so great cool. example. Yeah. I've worked with Gina and the college ball playoff committee this right. past year. We did all the social visualizations, um, in and around all of the fan fest areas at college ball playoff, as well as the game and brought Snapchat to, to the video boards for the first time in a bowl game kind of thing. And, and I met Gina for the first time. Yeah. To just today Isn't in the hallway. Yeah. And we, we had no idea who each other were, but we had been on 150 email <laughs> chains <funny>. and <laughs> she, uh, she came up to me. She's like, are you Farron from Tagboard? And I said, yes, are you Gina? <laughs> and so, so now it's like I finally was able to put a face to and, and yeah. that was one of the biggest activations we did in 2000. Love that. You know, it technically it took place in 2018, but that was one of the biggest activations that we did in 2017 yeah. is working along college football playoff. And now I finally get to put a face to a name. Yeah. So it's cool. It well, that's, that's a great benefit of this uh, event. And thank you for sitting down with me for a couple minutes and um, carry on with your day. Awesome. Well, thanks, Brian, for having me. This is the best. Yes. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our show staff, Brian Griggs and Josh Blank. Thanks to our friends at Boingo Wireless for powering our Sports Business Radio Roadshow. Follow them online at boingo.com or on Twitter at Boingo. 
Thanks to our friends at MKTG. You can find them on Twitter at MKTG. Their website is MKTG.com. They're a global lifestyle marketing agency, 33 offices in 19 countries, a leading sports sponsorship and activation agency. Make sure to check them out at mktg.com. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast. Go to iTunes, type in Sports Business Radio. We're rated in the top 50 business news podcasts. You can also find our show on Audio Boom via the TuneIn Radio and Stitcher apps, and, of course, at sportsbusinessradio.com. Follow me on Twitter in between shows at SB Radio. Follow us on Instagram at sportsbusinessradio. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio.